Today's reading is Luke 8, 4 through 16. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing fall away. As for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience." No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. I pray now, Lord, over my sermon, Lord, I pray that as I preach about sowing the Word of God in this world, I pray that you would grant the desire of my heart and inspire us all to be sowers of the seed of the Word of God. Oh, Father, you know how deeply I long for this And I pray in Jesus' mighty and merciful name that you'd grant it now by the honest and open preaching and proclamation of your word. We trust you for this, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Most of you know that uh, we're working our way through the book of Exodus right now, and that's in a larger picture of working our way through the first five books of the Bible. Last week we paused the series in Exodus to talk about the content of the men's retreat I actually want to take one more week here and talk a little bit about the mission of the church because bottom line is between now and Christmas I'm going to finish Exodus and end up having an extra Sunday somewhere. And so I decided to use that extra Sunday right here uh, because we as elders want to call the church to engage in an outreach this Christmas, the likes of which we haven't done in a few years. So I have a lot of explaining to do about why we're doing that and what exactly it is that we're doing. So I want to talk a little bit first this morning about the mission of the church and how this outreach fits into that. And then I want to turn our attention to Luke chapter 8 and hone in on one particular idea, and then we'll come back to some things that the elders are calling on the families of the church to do. So let me start by talking about the mission of the church a little bit. Glory of Christ exists. We've we've come to this mind over the last few months that we exist here as a church to make disciples for the glory of Christ. We take this from Matthew 28 and also Acts chapter 1. So let me just read those for you now and they'll be up on the screen for you as well. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So we take our mission from the lips of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the principle of that text was that Jesus' disciples were to give their lives to making disciples, first in the area where they lived, and then beyond that area until they reached the very ends of the earth. And we, unlike them, are not starting in Jerusalem, but I believe that the same mandate rests upon us. We are to begin making disciples here in Elk River, and then beyond that to one land and then another, until along with the body of Christ in the world, we have literally touched every corner of the world. And Jesus promised us in the book of Matthew that when everyone has heard this gospel all around the world, He will come again and bring all things to their final consummation. So again, the calling upon this church, and really every church throughout every age, is to make disciples for the glory of Christ, beginning where you live and then stretching out all the way around the world. There are three words that are very important to us in that effort. Words that we're trying to say over and over again and just press into our hearts and press into our minds. And those words are worship, community, and mission. In order to make disciples, we have to give ourselves to those three things. So first of all, everyone who truly believes in Jesus Christ longs to honor Him with their lips and with their lives. They love to sing songs to Him just like we did together. They love to express their worship and their love to Him in a number of ways. And they also long to submit their lives to Him day by day. So living a life of worship is not just about singing songs in church. It's about a life that's lived before the Lord God Almighty. And every true lover of Jesus Christ is essentially a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Worship is the path to making disciples because the only way to get power to do so is to connect with the heart of our Father. If we're not worshiping Him and in relationship with Him, there's no flow of power that will allow us to preach a word to spiritually dead people so that they live. I love what John MacArthur said. He said that the task of the church is not to market for church growth. The task of the church is to raise the dead. And beloved, that is an impossible task as far as it goes with us, right? But if we're connected with God Almighty and worshiping Him and in communion with Him, in relationship with Him, somehow we receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and He gives us all we need to make disciples. And worship is the point of making disciples because when someone comes to know Jesus, their heart is lit on fire to worship Him both now and forevermore. Worship is absolutely integral to the life in Christ and to the life of making disciples. Second word is community. Every true lover of Christ at least comes to know at some point that they were not saved just to be a lone ranger or a silo Christian. They're walking with Jesus out in the woods, just them and Jesus alone. But they know that Jesus has made them to fashion them together with other believers into a body, into a temple, into a bride. And so those who truly love Him long to live out the one another's of Scripture with other believers. And as I said last week, I know that this is challenging, especially in our world. We're all so busy, but may we never give up learning what it means to live in community and do life together because this is Jesus' work. Satan is trying to divide all the time. Even now, he's sowing seeds of division everywhere. Divide, divide, divide. He loves division. Jesus Christ came to reverse his plan and build unity. And guess what? Jesus is God and he's going to win. 
Jesus is building us together and no matter what Satan is trying to do, he will not succeed because Jesus is very, very great. And a disciple-making community is a community that longs to live in love with one another even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, even when there are problems, even when there are hills to climb and mountains to be moved. That kind of love does not cause a true church of God to turn in on itself Rather, that kind of love that begins with worship and ends in community thrusts us out into the world to share the Gospel with others. That's the third word, mission. Every true lover of Christ longs to be on mission with Jesus as He goes out there to seek and save the lost. Jesus Christ came into the world out of an overflow of love between Him and the Father, and He passionately laid His life down to seek those whom the Father had given Him. And when He brings us into His fold, He empowers us and sends us back out into the world in the same way that the Father sent Him. He sends us out of an overflow of love to seek and save the lost. So every single true believer will grow day by day in the passion to do just that. The mission of this church is to make disciples by living lives of worship, by walking in love with one another, and by being on mission with Jesus Christ in the world. Worship, community, and mission. We have growing to do in every aspect of what I just mentioned, and I'm sure that that will always be the case, but in my mind, the thing we need to grow the most in right now is in our practice of mission. We haven't done much about that, and it's time for us to rise up and obey the Lord and faithfully go out into the world and sow the seed of the Word of God. So accordingly, the elders have chosen to utilize this Christmas season as a means of training us for how to be seed sowers in our own backyard and not just across the world in India or Madagascar where Sarah Fergus is going soon or Albania where Ben Anderson's son has already gone. It's good that we sow seeds across the world, but we need to learn to sow seeds here. And so the elders have chosen to use this season not just to focus on Christmas, but in a way to use Christmas as an excuse to develop habits in the life of this church that will last well beyond the Christmas season. We hope to have an effort like this three to four times a year from here on out. So, specifically, we the elders are calling on every person and family in this church to rise up and take one of the following five actions. These will be up here, and they're also in your bulletin in the For the Glory of Christ section. I've written them for you there so that you can have them. I want to just quickly read them, and then I'm going to go to Luke chapter 8, and we'll come back to these specific actions at the end. The elders are calling on the church, number one, to pray for your family, friends, neighbors, and community that they might come to know Christ this season. Develop a passion to pray for the lost. Be someone who tills the soil and prepares the soil of the hearts that will receive the Word of God by praying and praying and praying and praying. We're calling on you to join us in being a prayerful people, evangelistically prayerful people. Second, equip yourselves to speak the gospel to unbelievers and ask the Lord to give you opportunities to do so and power to do so when the opportunity comes. Right now I'm reading an excellent book. It's called The Unexpected Adventure. It's 42, two to three page stories by Lee Strobel and Mark Middleberg of just everyday adventures of going to the coffee shop, going to the store, walking down the street, being at work, and having God open up opportunities to share the gospel. And I, and I guess what I'm saying is this Christmas season, prepare yourself to do that. Learn to speak the gospel and then pray for opportunities to do so. Number three, 
host a Christmas party as a family or as a community group and invite your neighbors, invite non-Christians over. You may share the gospel there or you may just be Christians in their presence. That's up to you. But one way or another, we know you're going to have Christmas parties and so we're saying invite lost people to them. Learn to sow seeds in the way that you live your life. Number four, invite your family, friends, and neighbors to come to our Christmas services on December 18th and December 24th. And finally, give financially toward the 650 or so dollar cost of inserting a flyer in the Star News, which could potentially reach 10,200 homes if we're able to raise that money. So let me leave those there for now. We'll come back and, and, and say more about them. But the reason, by the way, we put that bulletin out today in the next few weeks, it just says, do something. Because we're calling on the church, just do something. I heard Pastor John Piper say one Sunday, he said, I don't care what you do, get in a plane and drop 10,000 tracks on the city from, you know, out of a plane. Just do something, do something. Sow seeds in some way, in some way. And, and, and we're saying the same thing. We're not trying to pressure you or guilt you into anything. We're just saying, look to your master, join him in your mission, and do something. Sow some seeds. Come into the joy of the sower. So let's turn now our attention to Luke chapter 8. And I want to read just again verses 5 through 8. A sower, Jesus said, went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out. He cried out. He, he, like I, I hear him like a trumpet call. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, the disciples heard physically what he said, but they didn't hear in their hearts. They didn't understand what Jesus was getting at. And so humbly and boldly they asked him, Lord, what do you mean by this parable? What's it all about? And praise God, he actually told us the meaning of the parable. You'll see there in a couple more verses to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Let me pause here and make sure that we're abundantly clear about something. Jesus is speaking here in this parable to men whom he soon would give the great commission and tell them to go into all the world, to every nation of this world and make disciples. So I just want us to have the picture clear. He's not speaking a random parable about the kingdom to random people. Rather, he is speaking to the very disciples to whom he's going to give the great commission, and he's telling them the parable of the sower to prepare them for that commission. And the main thing he's saying to them is that I am tasking you to go into the world and sow into this world the seed of the Word of God. In that light, the Lord is essentially charging them not to go into the world and found institutions. Not to go into the world and be a social service organization. Not to go into the world and found philosophical societies where we debate and defend the truths of the Bible. All of those things may be necessary, but the Lord is charging them to go into the world like a farmer would and sow the seed everywhere. Now, the disciples did found institutions. They did plant churches all over this planet as it is to this day. 
There has been throughout the last two millennia much ministry to the poor as we have fed and clothed and visited in prison and counseled and, and done many, many things as the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. There have been schools founded to argue for the trustworthiness of the Bible and the truthfulness of Christianity. There have been what we call apologists who have risen up to defend the faith. But, but beloved, what I want us to see is that the, the disciples were being laser focused on this one thing. Go into the world and sow the seed of the Word of God. That is your task. It is not your task primarily to found and grow institutions. It is to sow the seed. And if you found and grow things, if that helps you, then God be with you. But don't lose sight of the task. We are to sow the seed of the Word of God. As the disciples engaged in this task, the Lord told them. He prepared them. I think in a sense He was warning them that the reaction will be varied. And you won't be able to control the reaction. There are four different kinds of reactions the Lord highlighted. First of all, some people would hear the Word of God, but on hearing it, the devil would come and snatch the Word of God away out of their hearts so that they would not believe. And this is exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 when he's now speaking to the church. And he says, listen, if you're going out there and proclaiming the Word of God to people and they don't believe, it's not because your techniques are off. Maybe we should work on our techniques, but listen, God can use bad techniques, right? Sometimes God loves to use the weakest things to shame the strong and the foolish things to shame the wise. Sometimes I have bumbled my words so badly in sharing the gospel only to see the person say, yes, I want to know Jesus. Why? Because it's not dependent on our eloquence, but on the power of God. Amen? So Paul said, if people aren't coming, here's why. The God of this world has blinded their eyes from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The devil has snatched the seed away. And we just have to know. Sometimes when we go and preach the gospel, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's not a matter of changing techniques. It's a matter of this. This is the reality of the spiritual war in which we find ourselves. Second, some people are going to hear the Word of God and receive it with joy. They're going to seem to become believers and walk in the ways of Jesus, but over time, they're not rooted and grounded in Him, and so when the time of testing comes, they just disappear. They fall away. They walk away from Jesus. As long as Jesus is making the good life better for them, then they want to follow Him. But let a little testing come. Let them lose their job. Let financial difficulties come. Let sickness strike their family. Let persecution come against the church. Let some difficulty come and quickly they fall away because Jesus was never their God. Essentially for those people, they were their gods and Jesus was helping them to get what they wanted. When He was no longer helpful to them, they walked away. In the time of testing, they fell. This is going to happen. It's something we should expect and something we should grieve over indeed, but it is part and parcel of the war in which we are fighting. Number three, some people will hear the Word of God and likewise they will receive it and seem to become believers. But very soon the cares of this life, the riches of this world, the pleasures of this world will attract them more than the things of God and they will walk away. They will be the ones to say, I can't come to the banquet because I'm too busy. I've got a business deal or my kids have a soccer game or something or other. Something in this world will draw their heart away from God and they will just walk away. They will disappear. 
I remember as I was thinking through this this week and praying through this, I remembered a pastor friend of mine in California who told me about a couple who was pretty faithful in his church for a while and they came up to him after church one Sunday and said, Pastor, we'll see you in about three months. And he said, what, are you going away for a business trip or a family thing or something? And they said, no, no, it's soccer season and our kids' games are on Sunday mornings during worship so we can't come to church anymore, so we'll see you in about three months. Now, there's a family who's got their priorities all out of whack and I wonder, are they really worshiping the living God? It's a good thing to play soccer games, but it's not a good thing to put soccer or anything before the Lord God Almighty. But how many people will love Jesus only so long as He meets their needs? The moment that the things of the world become more attractive, they walk away. It's just part and parcel of the battle that we're in. And we have to be prepared. We have to be warned to know that as we sow the seeds, some people will seem to believe, but in the end they will not believe. Finally, and most joyously, some people will hear the Word of God and they will hold it fast with an honest and a good heart, Jesus said, and they will bear much fruit with patience to the glory of God. They will hear the Word about Jesus. They will believe in Jesus. They will cling to Him. They will be tested and continue to cling to Him. And they will bear fruit, I love that the Lord put it this way, with patience. They will be patient before the Lord. They will understand that things don't always happen in our time and in our way. And they will patiently and patiently, patiently endure and come to love Christ. They will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and such like things. And they will sow the seed of the Word of God into the hearts of others. There will be some who will receive the seeds that we sow, and they will believe and become mighty men and women of God in this age. So many things could be fruitfully said about this parable today. And I really mean that. There's so much depth here. I would, I would encourage you to meditate on this on your own time. But I want to just hone our attention in on one thing today. It seems pretty clear to me that from the way Jesus told this parable, that He was not holding His disciples accountable for the results of the seed that was sown, but He was holding them accountable for the sowing of the seeds. He, was, he, he, he did command them to sow the seed implicitly here, and then later in Matthew 28, He very clearly commanded them to go into the world and make disciples. In other words, sow the seed of the Word of God everywhere you go. But never one time did He ever give any advice for how to increase the crop of the fourth kind of reaction to the seed. He didn't give them any marketing advice. He didn't give them any techniques He just said, go and sow, 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 and sow. He never said or even implied that they would be held accountable for the response to the Word of God once it was sown. He just said, go and sow the Word of God, sow the Word of God, sow the Word of God. Their job was simply to sow liberally everywhere they went. I mean, just get your pic- the picture in your mind of this farmer. Why is there seed on the path and on the rock and everywhere else? Well, it's because he's just throwing it everywhere. And we're like that. We have the Word of God richly dwelling in us. Just throw it everywhere. Don't worry about who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved. Just throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. This is the command upon the disciples. And I take from this, beloved, this is the thing that I think that has touched me the most in the last week or two as I've pondered this text. I take from this that our joy is to be gotten primarily from the sowing of the seeds and not from the results that that sowing produces. 
You take your joy primarily from sowing the seeds, not from the results that it produces. Now, of course we rejoice when the harvest comes. Of course, when we, when we share the gospel with a person who doesn't know Christ and a dead person, spiritually dead person, comes to life and knows Jesus forever, obviously we rejoice at that. The Lord has given me the privilege of leading somewhere between 50 and 60 people to Himself over the last 25 years. And believe me, I have a lot of joy when I think about my friends like Jim Minshew and Dennis Ray and Scott Osmond and Robert Chapman and Joyce Peterson and so many others that I have watched come to Christ and I've watched them root and grow and ground and stay in Christ, it gives me a lot of joy. And the Bible says that even the angels of heaven stop what they're doing and throw a party whenever anybody comes into the kingdom of God. It is a great thing when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And we should take joy in that. But what I'm saying is we can't control it. We have no control over the response to the seed of the Word of God. What we have control over and accountability for is that we sow that seed. And so we should take our joy in the fact that God has made us sowers, throwing the seed of God everywhere we go. And if someone comes to faith, then we get a double joy. We get a double joy. And how I pray that we would have that joy, how I pray that in this church one day we'd have to have a baptism every Sunday because people are coming to Christ. And I mean that, beloved. But I will take joy in the sowing of seeds. I will take my joy there. I cannot control what God will do. But I can submit to Him and obey Him and sow the seed of the Word of God every day. And how I pray that you would join me in that. Some of you have heard the story of a man. In fact, Brad, I think you were the one who sent this to me some years ago now. I'm not sure if it was you. But there was a man who used to hand out gospel tracts on a street called George Street in Sydney, Australia. This guy had come to Christ out of a, a very rough background, and a friend of his, through love and through witness, shared the gospel with him, and he came to Christ. And he was so grateful to, for what the Lord had done for him that he said to the Lord, Lord, I will commit to share the gospel with ten people every day of my life. Now, that really touched my heart because I've told you that my goal this year is to get to the place where the gospel comes off th these lips at least once a day every day of my life. And now this guy's saying ten times a day every day. And I just say, praise the Lord, the bar has been raised. That's something I have to pray about now actually really encourages me. It's like, man, if that guy can do it ten times a day, I could easily do it one time a day. It really did encourage me. But whatever God does in my life, this man's habit was actually that. To go out onto the streets where he lived and worked. He just had a normal job. He was not a pastor. But at his lunch hour, he would go out onto the street and he said he found George Street the most fruitful place. And all he would do is he had these little tracks and he would go up and he would say, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, are you saved? And do you know what would happen to you if you died today? And he'd hand them a track. He did that every day for 40 years. And in his time, he handed out a little bit over on 146,000 tracks like that. He said most people were kind and took the track. But he also said that in 40 years, he never one time had the privilege of leading someone to Christ personally. And he never heard one story of anyone actually coming to Christ from all the sowing of that seed's 40 years, 146,000 tracks, he never saw any fruit with his own eyes. Amazing. The Lord is also amazing. So just as he would have it, he appoints this pastor in England to have a ministry. And this pastor is now traveling from place to place, different countries, ministering the gospel. 
And he goes to one place and he hears a testimony about a person coming to Christ because some old man on George Street in Sydney, Australia gave him a tract. And the guy reads that tract and then goes and finds a pastor who prays with him and the guy comes to Christ. And then this pastor goes to another place where he does another ministry and here's another testimony about a person who got a tract from an old man on George Street and ended up coming to Christ. And then he goes to another place and here's another testimony about another man who received a tract from some old guy on George Street and came to Christ. Story after story over a three or four month period, everywhere this guy goes, he's hearing stories about this old man on George Street. Some of these converts were now pastors. Some of them were now missionaries. One that really stuck out to me is one guy had been on leave in, in Australia off of a military ship. And he and his buddies went out and got drunk. And when he was trying to get back to the ship, he took the bus to the wrong place and got off on George Street. And he's walking down the street all drunk. And here comes this old guy. Excuse me, sir. Are you saved? And he gives him a track. Well, the guy said the fear of God struck him. He went back on the ship. He read the track. He ran to the chaplain. The chaplain led him to Christ. And that man became the supervisor of a thousand chaplains in the military. God did an amazing thing. So this pastor is hearing story after story. He decides to go to Sydney, Australia and look the old guy up. And he finds him. And he tells him the stories of the testimonies that he heard. And the old man begins to cry because he says in 40 years, I've never seen with my eyes one conversion. And before today, I never even heard one story of one conversion. But 146,000 seeds sown were not sown in vain, beloved. God was protecting that seed, watching over that seed, and bringing a great, great harvest into the world. That man is a hero of mine. By the way, I have that testimony on an MP3. And if you want to email me, I'll send it to you. You can hear the fuller testimony. It's really, really touching. He's a hero of mine because he was willing for 40 years. I'm 44. He did that almost for my entire lifespan. For 40 years, he sowed the seed of the Word 10 times a day. He never saw the harvest, but he took his joy in the sowing of the seeds and he trusted his Master to watch over those seeds. He's a hero of mine and I hope he is of yours now as well. And I'll tell you the reason why He could and why we can take our joy in just sowing the seed. It's because of the promise of God in Isaiah 55. God said, My Word will never come back void. What does that mean? It will always produce the purpose for which I sent it. So we might have purposes in sowing seeds in Elk River. God may not honor our purposes. I don't know. But what I know for sure is that God will accomplish every purpose He has for us to sow the seed of the Word of God in this city. That much I know. So I can go out into that world today and sow one seed or ten seeds in the heart of a person who needs to hear the Word of God and then I can have joy and let it go because my Father will watch over that seed and whether I ever see it with my eyes, He will cause that seed to produce the results that He intended. As we get more evangelistic and mission-minded in this church, beloved, it's very important to me that we not fix our eyes on the external results, but that we fix our eyes on the joy in obeying Jesus by sowing the seed of His Word. And oh, how I pray, may God double, triple, quadruple this church through conversions. May we see people coming to Christ, but if we don't, may we continually obey Him and obey Him and obey Him and sow the seed of the 
the Word of God. Believe me, that kind of life will not be lived in vain. You'll see that on your bulletin. It says, do something, make something of your life, or make your life count or something. John Piper said, don't waste your life, and I'm with him. Just don't waste it. Take the time today to sow some seeds. So, with all of that in mind, I want to turn our attention back now to what the elders are calling on the church to do now. Five very specific, tangible, simple ways to sow the seed of word to God, of God together as a people. And one thing I do want to say to you is that your joy will not be found in watching others sow the seed so much as your joy will be found in you becoming a sower. That's where your joy will be. The elders have promised and we will deliver We will rise up by the power of Christ and set the pace and set the example. We're already doing that. We're going to continue to do that. But your joy will be found in you becoming a sower in the way that God has intended you to be a sower. So please pray about these five things and rise up and do one or more of them. First of all, pray for the families, friends, neighbors, and the community to come to know Christ this Christmas season. The way that a farmer prepares the soil is by tilling it and whatever else the farmer does. You can tell I have a lot of experience in farming here. I have no idea. I just eat the food. They do their thing. But they do particular things to prepare the soil. So do we. And what that is, is praying the Word of God for the people in our city. Please pray. And I mean it. Please, I'm calling on you. Rise up and pray as families, as community groups. Go for prayer walks. Go for prayer drives. Pray over a map of the city that you live in. Do whatever you have to do, but pray, pray, pray that God will prepare the soil so that when the seed lands, it will produce a good, good, good result. Number two, equip yourself to speak the gospel to unbelievers and ask the Lord to give yourself, uh, to give you opportunities to do that. If you look in your bulletins, I put this little tract in all of them and please pull those out now because I want to take a minute and go through them. As I prayed about what I should preach this Christmas season, I I do that every September or October. I begin asking the Lord what we should uh, emphasize at Christmas. It was very clear to me right off the bat that I should connect what we were doing in the first five books of the Bible with the gospel of Jesus and just show how the gospel of Christ has been in the mind of God from the very beginning. Matthew starts off by saying Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gives the whole genealogy. And the point is, God had this in mind from the beginning. This was not an accident. So it was on my heart to tell the story of Jesus. And then a pastor friend of mine told me about this tract called The Story. I don't want to go through the whole thing with you because it's kind of long. But if you'll open up to the first page there, it says the following pages are the summary of a true story. It is like many good stories you have heard or read, but the more you read, the more you'll realize that this is not just another story, it is the story. It defines us all. It makes us think about who we are and who we can become, and so. And then on the track, they begin with God as Creator. They're convinced that even in our culture, we can't assume anymore that people assume there is a God who created. So the track starts with creation and and harmony that God created. Then in the next page, it deals with sin and what went wrong in some very specific ways. Then in the next page, it, it deals with the promise God made to send a Savior. And then in the next page, it deals with Jesus, the Savior. And then probably the, one of the most unique things I've ever seen in a tract, in the next page, they actually talk about the, the recreation of everything, the final restoration of everything, the new heavens and the new earth, 
So they're telling the fullness of the story from creation all the way to recreation, heaven and hell. And I love that. They're telling God's grand story and then they're saying at the end, alright, where do you fit into the story? Your story is about God's story. So how do you fit in? It tells them how to respond to Christ. And then finally at the very end, it tells them several things to do. Read the Bible, find community, talk with God, and tell your story. There's a website along with it where people do give testimonies, uh, where there's other resources for all of you, by the way. If you have an iPhone, they actually have a whole app for the story that you could use to, to tell this. So I see this being used in a couple of ways. Number one is, you could just read this together as families and learn how to think about the gospel in this way and then practice speaking the gospel out to one another so that when God gives you an opportunity, you're able to actually say, here's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. So this can be a training tool for you. And in fact, I feel so strong about that that we've decided to take the three adult Sunday school classes in November and give them to training through this so that we can teach uh, all of us how to speak the gospel. That training will not be like a high-pressured thing that's going to end up in going door to door. That training is simply a way to help us speak the gospel so that we can sow the seeds of the Word of God. And then obviously, like our friend in George Street in Australia, you could also hand these out to people. We bought a couple hundred of them. They're sitting over there on the table. If you're going to actually give them out, you're free to take as many of them as you want. We'll buy more if we run out. Besides this longer booklet, there's a shorter version of the same thing that just opens up in one page. That's also over there, and you're welcome to take that. So I want to urge you, beloved, to use this or something else, but use something, learn to speak the gospel, and then begin to ask the Lord, give me opportunities to share. I promise you, He'll do that, and you will have great joy in sowing the seed of the Word of God. I really mean that. Your joy will be high. Number three, Many of you are going to have Christmas parties anyway. We just want to call on you as community groups or as families to invite your neighbors, invite lost people over. Get in the habit of being like Jesus. He was always getting in trouble for being where lost people were. Remember that? The Pharisees are grumbling, 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 and he's hanging out with sinners. Of course he is. He's trying to seek and save them. So are you ever in any way hanging out with sinners? You should. You should. So utilize Christmas. People will come to a Christmas party. And if you make brownies, I'll come to your Christmas party, okay? They will come. And you may not explicitly preach the gospel, but there in that place you're developing relationships and you're sowing the seeds of the possibility of sharing the gospel with them. So please do that. Number four, please invite your family, friends, and neighbors to come to our services on December 18th and 24th. Christmas falls on Sunday this year. We cannot get into the hanky on Sunday, so our main service will be December 18th. And then Saturday, sun, uh, Saturday, December 24th, we will have a service here uh, at 4 o'clock, but that will be our service for the weekend because we can't get into this building on Christmas Sunday. So please pray about inviting your friends to come. This next week, we're going to order and prepare some invitations that you can either hand out in your neighborhood, just put them in mailboxes or on doors or whatever, or just hand to your friends and say, come to church with us. And I want to urge you to join us in doing that. We're going to buy about 600 of these invitations, and I would love to see every one of them land in the hands, person to person, as an invitation to church. And then finally... I want to call on you to give sacrificially toward the $650 cost of inserting a flyer into the Star News that will reach over 10,000 households. That paper is widely read in this area. 
And we feel that the most effective way to get our message across to people is to put a flyer in the paper. If we put an ad on the church page, we'll just get lost in the church page. So we want to put a flyer in there, and they will print it and insert it and send it to 10,000 households for 650 bucks. The church's finances are tight right now, so we can't just give that money out of the normal budget, otherwise we would. So I'm asking you to give above and beyond your normal tithe so that we can send those out. What happens if you give more than 650? Well, we'll send more flyers. The Star News goes to 25,000 households, and I think for $1,600 we could reach them all. And if we get that much money, we'll just send more flyers. We'll sow more seeds. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't know that anybody will even come and visit the church because of that. I don't know. And I don't care. Well, I do care. But my main joy is in sowing the seed. My main joy is saying, come now, discover the heart of Christmas. See Jesus. Have life. Sow the Word of God, beloved. Let your joy be in that. We leave the results to God. If we will all rise up and join in this together, we could sow literally somewhere around 11,000 seeds into this community over the next eight weeks, and who knows what God would do with those things. So I want to call on you to pray and to rise up and obey Jesus. The elders are, are asking you for these five things, but the Lord might ask you for something else. Obey Him over us. But whatever you do, come with us and enter into the joy of the sower. That's really what this season is about. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for the Word that You've given to us today. And I pray that we would obey it. I pray that we would not be hearers of the Word of God only, but that we would enter into the joy of our Master by sowing Your seed along with You. Oh, Father, please help us. Give us power now. We have vision. We have some tools. But we need power from the Holy Spirit. And I pray that You'd grant us all that we need in Christ Jesus for the exalting of Your name and the salvation of the lost in our backyard. We love You and trust You for this, Jesus. And it's in Your great and gracious name that we pray. Amen.